electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Bill Gates on coronavirus and can we get back to a normal life? The solution for that is to have a great vaccine that's gotten out to a high percentage of the population. Even in the U.S., that's not likely until probably mid-2021. The billionaire philanthropist and Microsoft co-founder on cutting through vaccine conspiracy theories. It's not surprising that people are looking for simple explanations in a very uncertain time, but hopefully they'll look to the facts, understand the values of the people that they're thinking about and understand that, you know, we're in this together. Getting back to school. I'm a big believer that for young children, the benefits in almost every location, particularly if you can protect the teachers well, the benefits outweigh the cost. And on that other tech luminary, Elon Musk. Well, Elon's positioning is to maintain a high level of outrageous comments. You know, he's not much involved in vaccines. He makes a great electric car and his rockets work well. All that and more, the full interview you'll hear only on this podcast. It's Tuesday, July 28th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee again today. Becky's off, returning later this week. I wanted to ask you about, I don't know where you are, I don't want to know, but what kind of lease type arrangements do you have? Did you see, when are they coming back to work at Google? Did you see that? I saw that. Summer 2021. When? Summer 2021. Summer 2021. Summer 2021. What is it now? Is it, it's summer of 2020. Is it, have I got that right? I mean, it's, I, it's all sort of You mush. got it. It's a year from now. Uh, it's if, a year from now. You, can you Google, ex- Google Alphabet's now the most, is, is most out there. Facebook, I think, was June 30th, 2021. So they were, they were the ones pushing the envelope prior to this. And I imagine, or I wonder whether all of the big tech companies follow suit. Microsoft actually was originally going to be back this fall. I imagine they'll get pushed out as well. We'll see whether other companies, you know. You're not going to be here? Becky's not going to be here till we don't know. This is Google. But it's possible. I don't know. I don't know what, you know, I don't know what our policy 
going to be, should right. be in terms of, you know, I think there's a huge question. Maybe it's around a vaccine. Maybe we'll get the therapeutics. Gates, Everyone will feel I'm better. Into and we'll the Bill Gates interview. That's what I'm doing right now. Right. I'm leading into sort of. And we talked about that, by the way, with Bill. We, we talked with Bill about about uh, Google's decision and just the idea of, of cities and what and whether people come back and how quickly they come back. We, we get into all of that. He seems he, he's a, he loves the prospects for science solving a lot of our problems, I think. Right. I mean, we yes. are miles and miles I mean, ahead of where we were when we were trying to do this with polio. And, and prior to that, I mean, we, you know, we're flying blind back then. I, I, I think we know a lot about the, the molecular mechanism of all this stuff. And, and maybe that'll help or maybe this, it won't. Or maybe this it is won't. what gets him excited. Yeah. Innovation gets him excited. And this is, this is the mm -hmm. ultimate version of innovation and humanity at the same time because it, it affects both so, yes. so, so much and so intertwined. Through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Microsoft's co-founder Bill Gates has donated more than $300 million to the global effort to combat the coronavirus. Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke with Gates yesterday in a wide-ranging interview that hit on public health, the country's biggest tech companies, the future of cities, and the intense global hope for a vaccine to treat this life-changing virus. Here's Andrew. Uh, this is where I want to start the conversation. You've talked about the timeline, and we're all focused on the timeline of vaccines, but I want to just ask you about what you think the timeline is to return to some form of pre-pandemic life. This is what so many policymakers and economists and others are trying to sort of think through, because it's one thing to have a vaccine next summer. It's another thing to not be wearing masks, to be going back to the life that we lived before all of this began. What do you think about that? Well, the solution for that is to have a great vaccine uh, that's gotten out to a high percentage of the population. So we have what's called herd immunity. Uh, typically, that means 70% of people have taken that vaccine. And so even in the U.S., uh, that's not likely until probably mid-2021, if things go well with the, the vaccine work. But, but just to put a fine point on that, do you believe that everyone's going to take the vaccine? And even with the vaccine, people will still get sick, I imagine. I don't know how much confidence or if you think it will create enough confidence that people will go out without masks and, and whatnot and go back to their, their former life. But how much of this is also going to be about therapeutics and everything else? Well, the therapeutics that will come even before the end of the year some new antivirals, some uh, monoclonal antibodies, those should cut the death rate fairly substantially. But I don't think that will drive us back to complete normalcy. Until you really block transmission and it'll go long periods of time without anybody going in the hospital, the concern uh, is going to be there. And so it, it's that herd immunity which hopefully doesn't require that full 80 percent. But uh, if it does, that means we're going to have to convince people that we've really uh, thought through how safe this vaccine is. And, you know, with all the rumors out there, uh, we need some really strong leadership and clear messages about the FDA's being very professional. They're not cutting corners and uh, get get us to help everyone else by having that community uh, immunity. I want to get to the issue of some of those conspiracies in just a moment, but just on the vaccine issue, because you're right in the middle of it. We hear every day about a different vaccine effort that's having some form of success. We're hearing various study results. 
Which of the, the efforts out there that you're aware of do you think show the most promise right now? Well, it's great that we have multiple constructs being worked on uh, because, you know, some will fail. They, they'll fail to have effect. There might be some side effect for some part of the population. Some vaccines will be better at reducing how sick you get. Others might be better at blocking transmission. And only as we go through the phase three and look at lots and lots of data will we be able to do those comparisons. We have a variety of techniques, different vectors, RNA, uh, and that's good because particularly for elderly immune systems, a lot of vaccines like the flu vaccine are not uh, very good at, at that. So that's always been a, a challenge. And yet, in many ways, that's the most important group that we need to protect. So, you know, I'm enthused about all the vaccines that the U.S. has funded. There's the first wave, which is about five. And then there's a second wave, which uh, are, are cheaper, uh, could be more effective, but, um, you know, they have to wait because they didn't get, get done as quickly. So you're just going to hear, you know, various phase threes will start. Uh, you know, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a, a particularly good low-cost vaccine. Uh, the AstraZeneca's and Moderna are, are two of the first to get out there. But, you know, we live every day with our vaccine experts talking to these companies because, you know, how we put the world's resources behind these isn't just driven by a normal sort of market thing. This is, you know, cooperation to figure out within a country and across countries where this vaccine should go. And then on the therapeutic side, what, what do you see out there? Is, is it, do you see any drugs out there that you'll be able to get a prescription from a doctor, you'll be able to go to CVS or Walgreens so that it's not an in-person, in-the-hospital event? Yeah, the antiviral uh, that's approved, remdesivir, is right now uh, for in, once you have serious symptoms. It's possible to move that to a form which we would give early and that would be easier to administer. That's just being examined now. There are two other antivirals which are more likely to be oral uh, instead of the IV infusion, which is remdesivir right now. So before the end of the year, those other two antivirals uh, are the reformulation. That could be figured out. Also, uh, I'd say monoclonal antibodies are probably the most promising class. And here you have people like Regeneron, uh, Eli Lilly, uh, also AstraZeneca, doing some pretty strong work. And those trials uh, are much faster because you can see the therapeutic benefit faster than the protective benefit. So I think there's a good chance we'll have substantial death rate reduction uh, by the end of the year with the, uh, the combination of those new tools, several of which are when you start uh, to have serious symptoms, you would, you would be uh, treated before you'd have to go into intensive care. There's a big question, Bill, both on the vaccines and to some degree in the therapeutics about profit, the profit motive and whether these companies producing these vaccines should be able to make a profit. Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, as you know, have pledged that to sell this at cost. Moderna and others have not. Uh, you're supporting these, some of these efforts. Taxpayer money is supporting some of these efforts. What do you think the right answer is? Well, for the developing countries, it's only going to be companies that offer 
a very low price uh, because raising money uh, to help those poor countries so far, uh, you know, we haven't uh, been able to raise the money. And even if the vaccine, say, less than $3, uh, you'd need over $10 billion uh, to get two doses out to uh, all the poorest. So there we're being even more strict. It's just the marginal cost is all that the donors are going to be willing to pay. If you took money from BARDA, uh, the U.S., the question is, did the U.S. require a low price in return for that? Or what was the deal? Uh, there's some opaqueness in those things. The U.S. is to be congratulated from funding more of the, for funding more of this R&D than any other country. And that's going to help the world. That is the one category the U.S. deserves a, a very positive grade on its pandemic response. But figuring out what the pricing is going to be, what the volume availability uh, for the world at large is going to be, that's still very unclear. And, you know, we're trying to create a dialogue, uh, you know, and find out uh, we need companies to be willing to let other companies add to the manufacturing, which that's kind of unprecedented. But our technical team is advising on how that can be done. Right. Okay. Related to that, and we just had the CEO of Moderna on, I don't know if you saw, there was a story in the New York Times over the weekend, over a billion dollars of insider stock sales have happened from the CEOs who've been participants or, or, or moving forward with uh, a number of these vaccine efforts. How do you feel about that? Do you think that, that, that taxpayers or policymakers should be looking at that? Well, you'd have to say, was the BARDA deal done uh, in a smart way? And when those are opened up, we'll look at that. You know, my hope is that this whole, uh, the innovation of this pandemic reminds people that pharmaceutical companies really care about health and they come out of it with a stronger reputation and then they go in. Uh, I think some companies are doing better on that than others, but that will be very important. And then the other question is how to think about Operation Warp Speed and just the government's role in all of this, not just here in the United States, but abroad as well. Well, it's critical that people don't think we're rushing. So that code name uh, is unfortunate because the world and the U.S. trusts the FDA professionals, that non-political level, to hold the line and not let there be shortcuts, you know, not let there be licensing based on antibody levels, but rather really look for the full period at the safety, uh, you know, at least three or four months of safety data before you'd even give emergency use uh, and, you know, being pretty strict about efficacy. Um, you know, they allow something to go through with 50 percent, which, you know, later other constructs may came, come in at 80, 90 or 100 percent. So we're counting on the FDA, which so far, you know, has held the line on not uh, just, you know, doing like what was done with hydroxychloroquine, where they gave emergency right. use and it turned out to have negative effects. And, and what about the U.S. government's role in subsidizing the rest of the world and subsidizing other countries, especially right now? Well, the United States can be proud that on all sorts of health issues, going back to smallpox eradication, the, uh, the distance we are on polio eradication, uh, Ebola, the U.S. stepped up and, you know, there are tens of millions of people who are living with HIV where U.S. generosity uh, is the key to that. So here, 
the cost to make sure that our R&D is coupled with funding to help those poor countries, that would be fantastic. As yet, the U.S. has not shown up in these discussions, but in the supplemental bill being discussed, just 1% of the money would have the U.S. do its part and say our R&D wasn't just nationalistic, it was also to stop the epidemic in the rest of the world, both for humanitarian reasons, but also so that the disease doesn't come back to the U.S. So there's a lot of discussion about getting uh, money for vaccines and therapeutics into this supplemental bill. I'm uh, talking with anyone, uh, you know, because this needs to be bipartisan. Well, tell us, though, how are those discussions going, given that I imagine you're talking to Republicans and Democrats, as well as members of the administration. You've been critical of the administration uh, during parts of this. What's the back and forth like? Well, the R&D effort has been strong. Uh, you know, the U.S. has put out way more money than anyone else. We just need to complement that with being willing uh, to fund the procurement. And that will tell the vaccine companies to build the factories to supply the world. Until that money shows up, uh, they're sitting and waiting. The Europeans have tried to pull it together. But this, these issues, the U.S. has led so much in the past uh, that without that, it's very doubtful this will come together and you'll you'll have the epidemic still raging. So, uh, you know, it's it's a total between therapeutics and vaccines of eight billion that would be required here. And I hope both parties feel good about that. Right. Uh, you know, we spend way more than that on HIV, which is money well spent. But every two years we're spending over 10 billion. Bill, I wanted to ask you about the way we may live in the future, and in part because you called it right. I had gone back. This is your book back in 1995, Road Ahead. I don't know if you remember writing this, uh, but you wrote at the time, over time, as the Internet brings work to your home, which is happening to us right now, it will also bring many of the other good things from the city with it. College uh, lessons, city tours, conversations with doctors at hospitals far away. It is possible when this happens, you write, People will begin to leave the city. And that's what we're seeing now. How do you think that changes our life? But also, how much does it worry you about cities and municipalities? Ben Bernanke recently wrote an op-ed uh, about the economics of cities and how, how terribly worried he is. Well, overcrowding in cities uh, does have some negatives in terms of the real estate cost and the traffic problems that you get into. Uh, and the fact that only a few cities have gotten a lot of these high-paying jobs, that's a little bit of a problem for the, the cities and areas that get left out of that. So I see this flexibility, which has been accelerated by the pandemic, you know, where you can do telemedicine. And we invest in distance learning to make it far better than it's been so far. I see that as basically positive, giving people options. You know, I know some tech employees... Uh, you know, are living in, you know, different places uh, and, you know, asking, hey, when do we need to go back so they can plan? Uh, it was interesting that, you know, Google went all the way out to mid-2021 uh, before they'll resume normal office work. I, I think others will follow that. And there will be less travel, face-to-face -face travel. There will be more flexibility about these jobs. Um, you know, I see net, that's, that's a, a really great thing. Do you think these businesses will thrive in this era, not just economically, as we've seen them maintain their business 
in this in this environment, but be able to grow and be creative. You're, you're living a, a distance life uh, yourself with those uh, at the foundation. How much do you crave getting back in a room with them? Do you feel like creativity has been lost? I'm amazed at how productive we are. Uh, as a new employee comes in, though, it's a little tough because the kind of conversations they would have, you know, kind of after the meeting or running into people. Uh, the online experience today isn't as good at that kind of casual thing uh, before and after the meeting or, or just kind of hanging out. Now, some of that can be improved, but I, I don't think we'll completely eliminate having those foundation offices and, and people come in and, and do face-to-face -face meetings. I think we'll do less uh, long-distance travel. Uh, you know, there's room for creativity on how, which benefits you get from what type of get-together. We were talking about the vaccine earlier. Uh, you had alluded to the idea that some people may not take it. And I wanted to just address that with you because one in four Americans right now think that the COVID-19 pandemic was either definitely or probably planned by powerful people. And oftentimes you hear your own name included in that. Why do you think that is? Well, our foundation's very involved with vaccines. And you know, we, we put a lot of money into vaccines and, it, and it's, it's been super successful. Millions of lives have been saved. We've gone from 10% of kids under five uh, dying uh, to now it's less than 5%. And, you know, we, we can go a lot further by uh, inventing more vaccines. So the idea that, uh, you know, our foundation is connected up in that, uh, you know, we're trying to help, uh, the, you know, those are the values that Melinda and I have, you know, to flip it around and say somehow, you know, that the creation of the virus or, you know, profiting from the vaccine, that's unfortunate. But uh, they, it really starts to hurt if it means people aren't willing to take the vaccine. Uh, and once it goes through that safety process, uh, that the FDA is is the best at the world in the world uh, at a professional level of, of being able to uh, review that. So I am worried. Uh, it's not surprising that people are looking for simple explanations in a very uncertain time, but hopefully they'll look to the facts, understand the values of the people that they're thinking about, and understand that you know we're in this together, and you know we need to protect each other with masks and eventually, probably with uh, herd immunity through a vaccine. Bill, what, what do you make of when you see other tech luminaries like, like an Elon Musk say that COVID is dumb and, and flout local regulations amidst all of this? Well, Elon's positioning is to uh, maintain a high level of outrageous comments. Uh, you know, he's not much involved in vaccines. He makes a great electric car and his rockets uh, work well. So, you know, he's allowed to say these things. I hope uh, that, you know, he doesn't confuse areas he's not involved in too much. And, and what do you make of social media in this age? And the reason I ask is because, in part, uh, a number of tech CEOs, you know, are going to be going to Washington. But there's a real question whether social media is spreading these conspiracies. Well, definitely when you let people communicate, you have to deal with the fact that certain incorrect things that are very titillating 
uh, can spread very rapidly compared to the truth. And we've always seen that with vaccines. Any negative thing uh, gets out uh, to people. And the, you know, the facts about no, you know, it's safe, it doesn't cause autism, uh, that travels very slowly by comparison. And social media can make that even worse. And so the degree to which these media companies can see what's being said on their platform and take things that are absolutely wrong uh, and get rid of those things or slow those things down, that's very tough because as you move over into political speech or a valid discussion about the safety issues, how you divide that, draw that line, you know, do you have that visibility? These are are complex issues. And, uh, you know, it has been a spreader of lots of, uh, of negative things. And, you know, how do you, how do you strike a balance there? It's, um, do you think you would take a harder line? And the reason I ask is, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has been very firm about COVID news. He's actually all over COVID news, tries to keep it, tries, I think, uh, to deliver the right news and, and tries to filter out news that isn't. But when it comes to, quote, news news, uh, he's more, uh, if I said liberal or progressive with it, people would think that's a political statement, but it's not. Well, some of the messages on their platform, they don't even see because of the encryption in WhatsApp. And so they, you know, in order to not have any responsibility, they've made that opaque. You know, so whatever the issue is, uh, anti-vaccine, you know, child pornography, they uh, uh, have made sure they, you know, they can't. Uh, intervene on those things. And different countries are debating, you know, is that appropriate? Uh, You know, is this idea that you can't, when you have, you know, criminal activities or uh, different things, the government is blind to what's going on there. I don't know that that'll come up this week. I think this week is more of a uh, antitrust related thing. Uh, You know, it certainly reminds me of uh, when I went in front of the Congress, uh, I uh, wish them well. Well, let me, let me briefly ask you about that, though, because you, we've talked about how important competition has been in trying to find a vaccine in this in this time. Is there enough competition in the tech world today, do you think? I think over time, the tech world is naturally very, very competitive. Now, I'm not saying that the authorities have to be totally laissez-faire, but I do think people underestimate that natural competitive forces do come into this space. Uh, And, you know, we saw that, you know, as mobile phones came in, that was hyper competitive. Uh, And, you know, the prices keep coming down, the products improve. There are some things like branded merchandise or or controlled marketplaces uh, that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that gets regularly. But yes, I think of tech as even without massive regulation, that there there will be uh, a lot of innovation. And then finally, um, your your school Lakeside. We're all trying to think about schools come this fall. Um, I know your kids are older now, but would you send your kids to school this fall? I oh, yeah, my youngest is still uh, going to be a, a senior. Uh, there and uh, the discussion is about coming in every other week. Now that was decided uh, a few weeks ago. I don't know if that will change or not. But you know, I'm I'm a big believer that for young children, 
the benefits in almost every location, uh, particularly if you can protect the teachers well, the benefits outweigh the costs. As you get up to age like 13 and higher, then you'll have to look at your locale to decide what you'll do with high schools. And if they're not in, then you have to put massive effort into trying to get there to be continued learning online. You know, our foundation has revamped our education work to really jump in and help out, uh, you know, get those online capabilities up, make sure that uh, 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 minority students and low-income students aren't suffering the most throughout all of this. But it's a very tough set of trade-offs that everyone's going through. Final, final question. If you could do one thing, and maybe it's the advice you'd give to the president in this instance, what, what's the thing that you think needs to be done right now? Well, the simplest thing, which has to do with such insanity, is you should not reimburse somebody for getting a test that it takes more than 48 hours to get the result back. That test is a complete waste. And so all these numbers about how much we test, the, the majority is, is just complete waste. You need to get it back as soon as possible so that somebody can change their behavior uh, so they're not infecting other people. Our case levels are too high for contact tracing to work because those numbers come down. I hope they will come down uh, at some point. Then that will kick in. But right now, this thing where you wait uh, more than three days, sometimes seven days to get a test, nobody should pay a dollar for that. That that's insane. You need to prioritize. Uh, you need to make sure that you know low-income communities that are uh, most at risk that they're getting those results back within 24 hours. So that you know that's the near-term thing, and then enabling the therapeutics and vaccines uh, appropriately test to get out. That right. would be the next thing, and you know get the whole world the benefits of those things so we can go back to normal. Bill Gates, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. Positively FedEx. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Melissa Lee. Here's Joe with Bill Gates' post-game analysis. Here I thought millennials were never leaving the city. You know, if, we, if you had asked us two years ago what, what are the big societal trends that would be right. urban living, All suburbs, yep. and it's 180 degrees. You know what? If we're all distributed and doing everything, I'm really scared the Internet's going to go down. What if that happens? I mean, what well, if my Wi-Fi goes there's out? A big, there's a big, the concern. World would end. There's a big huh? concern that the Internet is the target of hackers. That's what I'm saying. The next, vi- the next virus, terrorist right now, the next virus, yeah, the next virus we get is not. It's going to be a network virus, which which shuts down our entire. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be worse. No, not worse. Obviously, there's, but 
if I wanted to shut us down uh, in the future, I mean, that, th think if it's, everything's distributed. That seems like we're relying on, I mean, when my Wi-Fi goes down now in, in my house with my kids, it's like, they look at me like, Dude, you, 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 you can't let this happen. You, and it's like, okay, all right, I'm down. And the things, you know, going off, there's sounds. And I, I, I turn, you know what I, I've learned how to do? You turn it off, and then you turn it back on. That's the extent of my, um, right, with everything. Think, I think. about TVs, Think cable. about if we had this pandemic without the internet. What would have happened well, to the economy I mean. without the internet That's right what now? I mean. But he it's just amazing. basically... No, he said really that everything could be like like that eventually, which but I think there's something to just like kids need the experience of I, I think I don't know. Do, do companies need the collaboration of in-person contact? I, I still sort of think they do. Right. Or not. I think they probably do. I think to some think degree you do. you do. I think it's the issue he mentioned. I think you can maintain a business. I mean, here's a question. How many new people have you met? over Zoom or over one of these services over the last four or five months and had and, and either created a relationship yeah. at the same level of somebody you'd met in person. Very hard to do. Right. He implied at one at one moment when it comes to Facebook, for example, that that part of the encryption strategy is almost to escape responsibility uh, for some of the things that go on on that platform, which I thought was an interesting co comment. Speaking of encryptions, I thought his answer to the Moderna insider selling was encrypted. What, mm -hmm. what did he say, Andrew? He, he said, uh, you said, is it okay? And he said, uh, if the bar to deal was structured properly, I don't, I didn't, I couldn't. I, I, couldn't. I think that he's, I, I think that there, there are questions about the way the bar to transactions uh, have been structured about what the requirements have been on companies and that some of that's been opaque and not public yet I see. in terms of what companies can do, what they can't do, how much they're supposed to be able to profit, it, it how much they're not supposed to profit. It still, doesn't get, to the, it still doesn't get to the point, though. Right. I mean, yes, we don't know what the government will pay for a Moderna vaccine, for instance, right. versus the Pfizer money, which is $2 billion to guarantee 100 million doses. So it's sort of different in terms of the transparency right. between the two. But it almost sounds like he's saying it's okay if we know how much right. we're going to pay and there's transparency, so then go ahead and, and let him sell. I mean, it's, the it's U.S. A, government gave a billion dollars to Moderna right. That's the difference. to fund this vaccine. That's the difference. It's, it's, right. it, whenever we talk about a company that's in the business of saving lives, it's different than just like a tech company. You figure, wow, this entrepreneur had this idea. He put his money on the line. He, he hit it big. It's, God, it's the American dream. He's allowed to make a lot of money. We always wonder, why do drug companies, when a pill costs four cents, why are they charging $40,000? And we constantly have to explain about it. There's innovation and it costs money right. to develop things. But the government, that's what makes this even uh, more unique this time, the government is in the business of providing a lot of the risk capital to these companies. So then you got another right. thing thrown in to, to whether the profit incentive is the same as with a private company doing it, right? I mean, so it's, I don't know, we should have a discussion about it, but uh, maybe another, yeah. we, we, it's only a three-hour show. And that's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky will be back tomorrow. Tune in on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to and share Squawk Pod. Leave us a rating or a mini-starred review on your favorite podcast platform. That does help other listeners discover Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.